Hi, I'm Bethany, and I'm on a journey of discovering what loving oneself actually looks like. I want to invite you into my process, hear some of my crazy stories, as well as hear some amazing people with wisdom and insight give their take on what it looks like to love yourself well, and in turn, be able to love people well too. Come on, let's go. Well, hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode um, where I was able to share a little bit of a story about a time when I was the jerk. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I wasn't the kindest. And it got me thinking throughout the week just about like all of the different dating experiences that I've had, which I know I keep saying on repeat that I, I have these experiences. But I thought I would give just a little bit of history at first to where to where it actually came from. So in previous episodes, I talked about dating a guy for six years. We dated from the time I was 19 to 26. So, you know, that's a that's a long time. Or was it 19? Yeah, it was around six years on and off. We broke up one or once or twice in between and got back together. Um, so. uh he was my only adult experience dating and we were both just, you know, broken. He didn't come from the best family as far as um, his mom and siblings were super sweet. I think he had a little bit of a rough past with his dad and there was just, you know, not not to say any more or any less, just not to uncover him. But he didn't have like a shining example of two people in love like I could say I did on the outward um, looking in. And um, I realized that we both made a lot of mistakes through our uh, years of dating one another and, you know, me not being able to communicate properly what I needed, him not being able to communicate what he needed. You know, we, um, if you know anything about life languages, we probably had none of the same life languages at all. And so um, we probably didn't have any of the same love languages at all, like just couldn't even meet on the same playing field anywhere. And I just used to convince myself, you know, well, opposites attract, opposites, you know, opposites attract, which I think is true. There are some people that they are nothing like their their spouse or their partner, but uh, and it works somehow, but it's because they're consistently aware of the other person's needs. And we were so young, we didn't have any grid or understanding for that at all. Um, so after we broke up and I moved away, I moved away after I went to school. I went to mortuary school. And one of the things that you have to do is you have to do an apprenticeship in any state that you live in. Mortuary science is one of the only things uh, that is different throughout each state. So each state governs their, their rules and their laws regarding a license for mortuary science. So basically when you, after you graduate from school, which I did, I had to sit down for national boards exams and take a very extensive test. And it's actually two tests. One is a sciences test and one is um, basically an arts. And the arts is all about laws and other things and rules, regulations. The sciences is pretty self-explanatory. And you basically have one shot. That's it. You sit down. You have to go to a testing center. You have to pay quite a bit of money. And you have one shot to take this test. And that is it. If you fail, you fail. And you have to, you don't even get to do it again right away. You have to wait an allotted amount of time and take it again. So there's lots of stress, lots of pressure. I was able to take it and I sat for both of them and passed, which was amazing. And after you pass your national board exams, you then have to get a license to be an apprentice. And in the state of Illinois, you have to be an apprentice for one year under a licensed funeral director. And you have to 
fill out paperwork and send it to the state. So you have to embalm so many bodies. You have to work so many funerals. You have to tell them exactly what you've done. And then your boss has to sign off on your paperwork. And so for a whole entire year, you do this. And then you become licensed through the state of Illinois. So after I had gone to mortuary school, I decided to to get a clean break. And I got a position as an apprentice uh, in a town called Washington, Illinois, outside of Peoria, Illinois. And so it was about three hours south of Chicago, really close to Bloomington area. And um, I decided to take a leap and I moved, I moved out there and I had an apprenticeship lined up and uh, I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anyone, <laughs> just my bosses, you know, and I can remember I was at the point in my life where I was really angry and bitter with the Lord. And it got to the point that not only was I angry and bitter, but I was becoming very hardened and was relying on myself and my own independence to do everything on my own. Like I actually didn't need the Lord. I didn't need anybody. I didn't need men. I didn't need like it was a total defense and like self-preservation mechanism to I was basically with every move. I was building bricks in a in a big wall to keep everyone away from me because I had been hurt. And more so, I'd been just disappointed that my life didn't go the way that I thought it would, just like everybody else in the world. I'm pretty sure at some point we could all look back in our history and think, gosh, I haven't done, you know, I haven't done this or I haven't done that or the one thing that I really wanted I didn't get or the one thing that I was hoping for didn't happen for me. I think we all have those stories. And my idea of... uh recovering from that was to become extremely independent, rely on no one. Everyone was unsafe in a sense of uh, people don't mean what they say and they don't say what they mean was my, that was my like mindset. I remember thinking like, well, I guess there's no Prince Charming coming to rescue me. I'm just going to have to get up and rescue myself. And that was my mindset was that no one's going to help you. You have to help yourself. And so I took this apprenticeship program and went to Peoria, Illinois, well, Washington, Illinois, to where I, I knew no one. Uh, so I was balancing with this um, this new independence, this I'm a career woman now, I have a degree, uh, I'm working in the field that I you know graduated in, mixed with, I have no relationship with Jesus, but I have a very religious mindset around it. So I knew as a knee-jerk reaction and just as habit, I needed to find a church and I needed to get involved because I didn't know anything else. As a pastor's kid, I was always involved in church. And it was a part of my identity. So I remember asking my bosses who were Catholic. And I said, hey, is there any churches that I should, like, do you have any churches in mind? This is what I believe, you know. And they said, yeah, there's a couple really good churches. They told me about a few. And then they said, um, but be careful. There is a church in Peoria. It's it's a Methodist church, but supposedly they keep saying that they're having this thing called revival and they like dance with flags and they like speak in tongues. So like I would just it seems kind of culty. I would just stay away from that. So I filed that away with like, and that's where I'll be going because that's they didn't know, but that's exactly how I was raised. So I was like, all right, there it is. So I tried a bunch of different churches, nothing really stuck. And I went to Bradley Upworth and it was amazing. Um, they were a little ahead of the game of even of what I was even used to. They started to do prophetic ministry. They started to do spontaneous worship. And there was a part of me, I hated every bit of it. I remember calling my brother, and I was so mad because I was like, they're just 
making up words. They're singing and making up words. And I can't even sing along. Like, I hate this, you know. So anyway, he laughed and would just encourage me like, Bethany, just try it. Just just you might like it. Just stick with it. Just stick with it. And it was the first time that I realized the difficulty of getting plugged into a place. It is not easy being a new person on a block. It is. It takes motivation from you and it takes work on your part to to get plugged in. You can't just go and sit on a bench and expect people to come to you. And I had never had to do that before because every church I'd ever been to, I was the pastor's kid. They knew my dad. I didn't have to as far as I know, it's lack of a better term, but I didn't have to prove myself. I didn't have to uh, show that I was mature. I didn't have to show that I was stable and normal and, and, you know, like a believer and that, you know, to be involved in a church, you typically have to kind, they have to get a feel that you're not a crazy person, which there's lots of crazy people that come to church. My mom says the the biggest light attracts the most, the most moths, you know, which is a good thing for people to come and get healing. But just in a standpoint of being in leadership, you have to have somebody who can handle leadership and be able to be ready to lead other people. I'd never, ever had to prove myself in that area before ever because people knew who I was already. I didn't have to make friends. I was used to people wanting to get to know me because of who my dad was. And so I had this really hard adjustment. Uh, I had some some sweet, there was a young couple that got married and they, you know, they reached out to me and asked to hang out and wanted to be around me a few times. And we got to be together a few times and I was like a lifeline for a while. Like they were so kind. Um, but at the same time, I didn't, everybody already had their friends. Everybody already had their like little cliques of people. And I could just remember feeling so on the outs, you know, it actually really changed how I thought about being in church and even being friendly and being outgoing toward people and making people feel welcome and making people feel um like seen cuz i remember going to church and just like being like gosh i i i remember just wishing somebody would talk to me like just wishing somebody would stop and ask me who i was and how long i'd been there like something you know and what happened was is that kind of deepened the wedge because it it made me a little bit more bitter. I I felt even more unseen. Here I was wrestling with like disappointment. God, you didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't. I just wanted one thing, which was a husband. I wanted to be married, and you didn't give it to me. I was so close, and you didn't give it to me. It's just you ripped it out from underneath me, you know. And so now I'm in a new environment, in a new place. All of these young people, it was a very young church, a lot of young people. They all seemed to know one another and love one another. And I was just on the outs on the outs of it and no one saw me or so it felt and so it kind of created this this wedge and I wrestled for a long time of like going on Sundays and sometimes I was on call and I couldn't and through the career choice that I had made it became really easy for me to stop going to church I realized I had always gone to church because that's just what we did I had no reason. It wasn't because I wanted relationship. It wasn't because I wanted community. It was because that's just what we did. That's what that's what my life had been like my whole life. So it was purely out of habit. And being in a career where you're on call on the weekends and sometimes you have to work, that slowly just got chipped away. I started to like not go, not care, not, you know, but I was still lonely. I still didn't, I didn't know anybody. And I kind of got this little wild hair one night and decided, you know what, I'm going to like, 
you know, I convinced myself it was a joke. Like, I'm just going to this inside joke between me, myself and I. And I'm going to create this dating profile. And it was the first time I'd ever done it. I was like, I'm going to create this dating profile. And I made it extremely ridiculous. And I posted, I think, one photo of myself, made it absolutely absurd. And I think even in the comments, you know, those dating profiles, they like prompt you to answer their questions. Like, what does the perfect date night look for you? And I basically wrote out the perfect date night was basically me being Mrs. Claus, being married to Santa Claus, <laughs> like in the North Pole, just because like it was so absurd to me. And I thought it was so ridiculous. And I left it as is. And I was like, whatever, we'll see. And so I left it, posted it, closed the computer and went to bed. And I woke up the next morning and I almost kind of forgot that I even did it. And I thought, you know what, let me just sign on. I'll check to see what happened. And so I signed on. And I think I had, you know, it was like 12 hours later and I think I had over 30 messages in my inbox and that flipped me out because I had just spent a couple years of feeling like nobody wanted me, that I I believed that lie of the enemy, you know, that um, that I wasn't good, I wasn't, I made all the wrong choices, I ruined my chance, the one guy that I dated that went from, you know, we dated for six years and I thought I was going to be able to find somebody and I didn't. One year turned into two years. It turned into four years of being single. And I realized there was this lie that entered in my little thinking. And it was, oh, it's not that men don't want me. It's Christian men don't want me. And I remember grabbing it and just being like, this makes sense. Christian men don't want me. And so then I started to get really bitter towards men in the church for a very, very long time. And so I kind of had this moment of being like, Bethany, you're living in this new city with a new job, with a new place to live. You're totally on your own. You're being this like single girl boss lady. You're doing it. So I decided that I was going to say yes to as many dates as I wanted to. And I ended up going on 18 first dates in 30 days. And it was the worst decision of my life. (laughs) Let me just preface. I am not bragging about this at all. It was the worst idea in the world. I like couldn't keep people straight. I had like I have bad memory anyway as far as like remembering things. I'm the worst at like forgetting what we talked about. It'll come back to me. But like right off the bat, I like don't remember stuff. So if you can imagine 18 first dates, I mean, it was like, you know, three and four dates in like a week. Like I was going on three or four dates with new people like in a week. And I was like, this isn't like what, and you know, I convinced myself like, this is what single girls do. And yeah, I'm really sticking it to like everybody that wanted me to wait. And you know, how about that Christian guys? Like you can like go eat a brick, like look at me now, like all these guys want me. And what was happening was that I was building this confidence that wasn't real. It was actually a very false confidence in in myself because I wasn't confident in my identity. I was confident in the fact that there was a group that didn't want me and I found a group that did. So I was actually not even like coming to terms with who I am and what the Lord's called me to be and who I am as a person and who I am as Bethany. I wasn't even recognizing people seeing me for me. I was recognizing it was such a shallow, um, like it was all about attraction. 
So it was like no one in the church is attracted to me. It had nothing to do with my personality or anything, you know, because I'm plus size. So to me, it was it was nobody in the church wants a plus size girl. And then it was like, but everyone in the world thinks I'm beautiful. So I very quickly got addicted almost to people being able to express being attracted to me which is just human like that's our flesh who doesn't want to be told like you're beautiful who doesn't want to be told like I am into you I find you really attractive who like everyone in the world wants to hear that deep down at their core we want to know that somebody is looking for us we want to know that somebody sees us and that we have what someone is looking for that is on everybody's heart I don't care what you say even the coldest hardest person deep down at their core they want to be seen and so this was feeding that deficit in my life I had a very big gaping hole of not feeling loved not feeling attracted not you know not feeling any of those things and this in an instant it was like a fire hose to a little like little seedling plant like it was feeding at a very rapid rate all of the things that I had been missing and um, it was the it was the worst. It, and I look back now and I mean, at the time, I thought it was the greatest. I thought I was finding this like newfound me. Right. Like, look at me. Look how great I this isn't this isn't anything to do with what I thought all along. What I thought all along was wrong, which is true. What I thought all along was wrong. But what I was now thinking and replacing it with was also wrong. And I was assuming it was right. And it actually became a very slippery slope for me. So I went from, you know, one foot outside of church and one foot inside of church. And then everyone inside of church, I felt like was not seeing me. I wasn't connecting with anyone. I couldn't even make friendships to this other foot where guys were just dying to take me out on dates, like just dying to meet me, dying to take me out on dates. And so I quickly took one foot out of the church and put both feet into the other. And it... Like I said, it built a confidence in me that I thought was missing all along. But even looking back now, I realize that that confidence wasn't real. It was a very shallow confidence because once that confidence was removed, I still was left with a gaping hole in my identity. I still didn't know who I was. I still didn't. And if you don't know what something is, you can't value it. If you watch any type of like, I used to love the Antique Roadshow. Oh my gosh, that's like a secret, like a very secret uh, guilty pleasure. I loved the Antique Roadshow. Oh, and so that's what I would like akin it to is that you have these people that are like, I don't know, I found this rug in my grandma's basement. It's dirty. She like left it to me when she died. Like, I don't want this freaking blanket. Like maybe I could, or this rug, like maybe I could sell it like in a, you know, a, a flea market or something like that. I thought my mom convinced me I should come here and let you look at it. And they're like, oh my God, this is an ancient Chinese rug. Do you know that this is $70,000? You know, and it, it took somebody who was able to view and acquire what, what something of worth was to be able to explain to the person who had no idea that what you're actually holding is really valuable. And what happened was, is I kept taking my precious thing to people who didn't know anything about it. So it'd be like, instead of taking it to an antique dealer, I was taking it to pawn shops. Like, is this valuable? Do you like it? And they're like, ah, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. You're like, okay, that'll work. $50. Okay, I'm worth $50. And what actually ended up happening was 
that overconfidence that I had and all of a sudden being desired and being liked actually did the opposite. And I really started to dislike myself because I started to take on the value that I am only attracted to guys who want to sleep with me. I am only I am not girlfriend material. I'm not marriage material. I am the girl that everybody dates before they find the one. And I can remember taking on this phrase and it was, I am the poor man's version of what everyone is looking for. I am the off brand that people settle for before they get, before they save up and get the real deal. And I held onto that and wore it like a badge of honor. And all it did was feed that bitterness. It fed that belief that uh, anybody of value won't recognize me or see me. And these are my people now. I'm like in the pawn shop with everybody else. <laughs> like that's who I am and I'm okay. I'm the queen of the pawn shop, you know, type of a situation. And I functioned and operated in that way for probably the next two years. That was a quick thing that entered my heart and, um, and took over. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they do in that ministry school that I've been telling you about that SOSL is they have a a week and it talks about, they call it walking in the light. And they talk about the importance of just like confessing the things that you've done. So you don't hold them against yourself anymore. It doesn't have to do with being like, you know, this isn't a courtroom. You're not standing up and admitting, like admit what you've done wrong. Like it has nothing to do with that. It actually becomes freedom because you're not holding yourself to the shame of those things anymore. After taking on that belief of like, you know, I am the poor man, poor man's version of what everyone is looking for. um, I had a lot of shame around the decisions I kept making because I started, I lost all value for myself. So instead of, I got to the point where instead of I, instead of thinking that I could meet someone of value, I would stay away from people of value. Because I thought that they were going to be able to see through me very quickly and realize that I had no value at all because I had convinced myself that I didn't. And that was probably one of the hardest things to have to. And I'm still doing that. I'm still actually trying to learn my value and build it up. That's what loving yourself looks like is being able uh, it's not thinking like I'm the best thing since sliced bread. That's not loving yourself. What loving yourself is saying like, oh, I actually have valuable things to bring to people, to community, and I also have valuable things to learn from people. So I want to learn the valuable things and I want to give the valuable things. And being in positions where you allow yourself to be used actually removes that idea that you have value because you've just freely opened the gates to people to take what they want and leave what they don't. And it becomes like a flea market situation. It's 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 not good. It's never good. So um, one of the things that I'm trying to do through these like crazy little dating stories and funny stories and also serious stories is also to show that there are severe consequences to doing things like this. There, it, 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 I didn't walk away from this unscathed. I, I walked away with lessons learned, absolutely, and some good experiences, and also some experiences that you've heard of where I shouldn't have lived, you know, shouldn't have made it out. But what happens is when, when you shut off 
that part of you that keeps saying like, hey, you're valuable. You don't have to do this. Hey, waiting doesn't mean you're not chosen. Waiting means you're valuable enough to wait for somebody who sees your value. Um, when you shut all of that off and you just start to settle for for nothing, you start to settle for bare minimum, it changes the course of the decisions you make in your life because you don't start to wait. You don't you don't choose the I'm not going to choose that because I know there's something more for me. I'm not going to do this because I know God has something better for me because you don't have any value for yourself. So you become an orphan and you take whatever food is thrown at you on the floor. Right. You become this like scraps cleaner. When in all actuality, nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves that. And I will say the past five years of being in Nashville and going to Gray Center and going through the school for the three years has been learning. Like not only do I, uh, I'm not garbage and I'm not a scraps person and I'm not the poor man's version of anything, but also I deserve really, really good things. And people love me and people want to be around me and people value me and value what I have to say and all of those things. And that there is somebody very special who is going to see the value that I have and that I don't need to walk around with shame. I don't need to walk around with feeling that I have nothing to offer even because of what I used to do and what my past looks like. And that is the whole purpose of that walking in the light with the school is just being able to freely say, These are things that I've done, but I'm no longer going to allow them to affect me anymore. And I just want to encourage you today that if you have a past where you feel those things that I've said, like, oh, these things make me feel like I am not worthy of this. Let me please tell you, you are so very much so worthy of of not only what you those little dreams that you have, but you're even worthy of more of that. You're even I want to encourage you to dream even bigger than what you could muster right now. There is way more for you out there. And I just want to encourage you to start to evaluate, do I, you know, do I think I'm not valuable in areas? And there's many areas. It could be relationships. It could be career. It could be, you know, even inner dialogue with yourself. Uh, There's in many areas where this could be a thing where you just don't value what you have to offer or who you are in that area. So I just want to encourage you today. I would love for you to um, send me a message. I, I have an Instagram and it is like me, like you official. And if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any feedback, I would love for you. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, until next time, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for chatting with me and we'll talk to you tomorrow.